0: Let us now read together from our Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 44. There we find God's words summarized as follows. What does the Tenth Commandment require of us? that not even the slightest thought or desire, contrary to any of God's commandments, should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience. Nevertheless, with deepest purpose, they do begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature, and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. After the sermon, we will sing in response with Psalm 24, the 2 and 3. Beloved congregation of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the other day I saw a, psych- a cartoon somewhere where a man was pictured who had just finished clipping the hedge that separated his property From his neighbors. In the bubble, it showed that he heaved a big sigh. But it was not a sigh of relief because he had finished the chore. No, from the expression on his face, it shows that it was more a sigh of envy. Now that the hedge was clipped, he had a clear view of his neighbor's property, and what he saw filled him with envy grass was greener, and the house looked a lot nicer than his own, and so did the beautiful car on his driveway. Even his neighbors' wives and kids looked better than his own. Doesn't that capture the Tenth Commandment well? And doesn't that sound familiar? That's what we're all like, aren't we? I'm sure that there's not a day that goes by that you or I Don't desire something that somebody else has. We always want more. We always want better. That was the sin already in paradise. Adam and Eve were envious of God. They wanted to have what he had. They wanted to have the same power and honor and glory, for they wanted to be just like him. And that's the way it has been ever since. All men are like that in regard. Whether you're a Christian or not, we all have the same desires and the same kinds of feelings of desire well up in us. But now question 114 asks whether those converted to God can keep these commandments perfectly. It speaks about those who are converted referring to you and me. By stating the question in this way, the catechism automatically eliminates all other people from the discussion. They're not even in the game. Why is that? We're all sinful human beings, aren't we? In the church, as well as in the world, you will meet all kinds of different people, happy people, cantankerous people, Patient people, impatient people, kind and generous people, unkind and greedy people, disciplined people and undisciplined people, and so the list can go on and on. But one thing is for sure, on the service, the one group of people, no matter what their religion or ethnic background may be, is essentially not any different from the other. As a matter of fact, it may be that we encounter people who do not belong to a church, yet who seem to have things together better than some of our fellow Christians. They're just as disciplined, if not more so than we are. They're always ready to help others year-round. They are law-abiding citizens and a pleasure to be around. They're good people. And given the chance, they will also point that out to you. They will say, you church-going people may think of yourself as a bunch of holy people, but you're not any different from me or others. They may even say to you, you believe that you will go to heaven, but so do I, for I do not steal, I have never killed anyone, I don't bear false witness, I don't do any of those things. As a matter of fact, I think that I am a better person than a lot of the people that go to your church. What would you say to that? Well, look at the answer that the Catechism gives. The Catechism, in accordance with the Scriptures, shows us the depth of the law. For it says there that not even the slightest thought or desire, contrary to any of God's commandments, should ever arise in our heart. If you do that, then already you have transgressed God's laws. For the law reveals our sin. As Paul says in Romans 7, verse 7, I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet or do not covet. He also makes that clear in Romans 3, verse 20, where he says, By the law is the knowledge of sin. And so it is a good thing that the Lord God gives us the law. For the Lord teaches us the depth of our depravity and thereby teaches us the great need for Christ. And so what a difference the knowledge of the law makes. That's also the theme for this morning's service. What a difference the knowledge of the law makes. And this can be seen from, in the first place, the depth of the law. In the second place, the doing of the law. And in the third place, the preaching of the law. How wonderful it is that God gives us the law. What a blessing it is that in this Reformed church we may hear the law being recited every Sunday. The vast majority of churches don't do that anymore. They say that the law has been fulfilled by Christ. And so we don't have to do that. Now we live out of grace. All we have to do is believe in Christ. And in a certain sense, that's true. But why does God give us the law? Does the law no longer function now? Is it so as evangelicals say that now because of Christ you automatically will do what is right before God? Is God's law not written in your heart? Brothers and sisters, the Lord gives us the law to make us aware of the fact that we cannot do anything right in his sight. He gives us the law to make us realize how much we need Christ. For the law functions like a mirror which shows us how dirty we are and how we need to be cleansed through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the 10th commandment, the Lord reminds us that he is the one who goes beyond the outer layers of our behavior and that he reaches right inside of us. He reaches right into the secret corners of our hearts, into the world of our thoughts and of our desires. Nothing is hidden from the Lord, as it says in Psalm 139. If you have ever felt hatred toward another person... If you have ever had an impure thought or desire, the Lord is aware of it, and we are guilty. The Lord knows what lives inside of you and me. He knows, for example, when you look at another woman in the wrong way. And then as far as people are concerned, you may be a devoted husband, but at that moment to God, who looks at your heart, you are a fornicator and an adulterer. And it may be that you have never stolen anything in your life, but as soon as you desire someone else's possessions, then at that moment also, to the Lord God, you are nothing less than a common thief. And so the list can go on and on. A true believer, therefore, does not think so highly of himself and of his abilities to keep the law he realizes what a wretched creature he is a believer knows that the Lord God is concerned with the heart of a person he knows that God does not just want outward obedience to the law but that he wants total obedience to the law through your heart, your mind and your soul And the more that you look at yourself from that perspective, then the more you will realize how sinful you are, and the more that you realize how you are a slave to your desires. In this modern 20th century, there has come a greater awareness of the subconscious mind. Freud, with his psychoanalysis, has been instrumental in making modern Western man aware of the world of the subconscious. He showed how the subconscious determines how a man acts. His fears, his desires, his cravings, his appetites tend to rule a person rather than the other way around, the person ruling his emotions, his desires. Up until the 20th century, philosophers always argued that our reason is capable of governing our desires. But with Freud, there came a greater awareness of what lives in the subconscious mind of man. The great problem with Freud, however, is that he does not want to make the individual responsible for his own desires and appetites. He sees man as a byproduct of his parents and his environment. And therefore, he can blame everyone and everything else for his predicament, for his sins, for what makes him do what he does. But if anyone here expects to sit under the teaching of God's law without being condemned, then the 10th commandment will change your mind. For the Lord teaches us that the problem lies completely outside of ourselves. God exposes what lives in our dark souls. He does that through the law, and he does that especially through the Tenth Commandment. As it says in Psalm 90, verse 8, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Nothing is hidden from him. Yet he does expect us to keep the law. We come to the second point. Throughout the history of the world, it has always been very difficult for man to grasp what his role is with regard to the law. What is the function of the law? What does the law do? And what do I do with the law? In verse 8 of chapter 7, Paul makes a very thought-provoking statement. He says that because of the commandment, every kind of covetous desire was produced in him. In other words, the law, according to him, which is responsible for his sinful desire, it is the law who stirs up within him his sinful nature. And the more that you are confronted with the law, the more sinful you are. Isn't that a strange thing for Paul to say? To us, it would seem that the opposite is true. The legalists certainly will tell you that. They will say that the more you do the law, the better a person you are. And they will hold themselves up as examples of piety. For that reason, legalists are very zealous. And... It's a good thing to be zealous, isn't it? To be zealous for the law, that's what you should do. We should want to do right, indeed. However, the question that you and I should always ask ourselves is, why do we do the things that we do? What is the reason for our zeal? Paul says that the more that he keeps the law, the more that he realizes how sinful he is, and the more he sees the rebellious side of his sinful nature, which is the exact opposite of what the legalists say. They are zealous for the law so that they can receive praise from man, and praise from God even. Because they think that through the doing of the law, they can earn themselves a place in heaven. They believe that through their works, they are made saints. Think about the Roman Catholics. That's also what Paul was like before his conversion. At that time, he was a devout Pharisee. On several occasions, he gave a graphic description of what that was like. As a Pharisee, he had strict rules for everything. However, Pharisees do not understand human nature. They do not understand their own human nature and they do not understand the human nature of others. They do not understand or want to understand how corrupt and how rebellious man really is. Whereas as Paul discovered after his conversion, the law does not make us any more holy, but actually the law arouses our sinful nature. It arouses our sinful nature in the way that magnet draws steel. Let me give you an example. I remember once standing in the park looking at newly painted benches there was a sign on the, on the benches that read, do not touch. As I watched, I saw numbers of people deliberately reach out and touch the wet paint. Why? Because the sign told them not to. That's what we're like. Anyone who has ever brought up children can readily relate to that. Tell a child not to go near the water and that's the very thing he will do tell a teenage son or daughter not to dress so sloppily and exactly what he or she will do anyway. Why? Well, as Paul says in Romans 8 8 verse 7, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. As soon as we are told to do something, we rebel. We want to assert our independence. If you try to live by strict rules and regulations, then you will discover that those who try to live by those rules and regulations come to the conclusion that their legalistic system only arouses more sin and creates more problems. The more legalistic you are, the greater the problems you will have. The church in Galatia was very legalistic. And they faced all kinds of trouble. And so Paul says to them in Galatians 5 verse 15, If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And their legalism did not make them more spiritual, it made them more sinful. Why? Why? Because the law arouses sin. We are that way, not just because of our sinful nature, but because we also instinctively know that we are incapable of keeping the law anyway. A child knows that too. And that is why it will do wrong things just to see whether or not you still love that child. He will always test you. In Romans 7, Paul makes clear that the believer has two serious problems. In the first place, he is incapable to do the good that he wants to do, he says. And in the second place, he does the very evil that he does not want to do. That's what Paul discovered within himself. For he uses himself as an example. No matter what he did, his deeds were tainted by sin. Even after he had done his best, he had to admit that he was, as the Lord Jesus says in Luke 17, verse 10, an unworthy servant. The law convicts you of your sin. That is the function of the law. And when you know that, then you are eternally grateful for what the Lord God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul says, wretched man that I am. But in the same breath, he gives thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ for delivering him from such wretchedness. And so you see that the difference between the believer and an unbeliever is great. An unbeliever does not want to have anything to do with the law of God. And therefore he cannot know his own sins. Nor can he know how wonderful it is to be delivered from his sins. But because of the law the believer knows what a sinful person he is. And so he is driven to Christ. And so, what a difference the law makes. If that is how you see the function of the law, then you also delight in the law. For then you know that the law is not there in order to test your relationship with God, that it is there so you can earn your salvation with Him. No, the law is there so that you can love God. Love him for what he does and has done, for the relationship that he has established. Now you do the law out of thankfulness, and that is a completely different thing. The law makes you greater aware of God, of his absolute holiness, his purity, his mercy. And then you also desire to be like him for the right reasons. Not that you want to be like him, that you want his honor and glory. No, you want to reflect his qualities. You become zealous for the law, for the right reasons. Not in a self-centered way. But in a God-centered way. And that is why the Catechism says that as a Christian, we have a small beginning that God requires from us only very small because it is such a small beginning beginning it may seem that we are much like our fellow human beings who do not know the law of God because the difference is so small but there is a difference between them and us and the difference is enormous we know that we have nothing to boast of we are humble And because the Holy Spirit has softened our hearts, we do try to keep the law to the best of our ability. And the Lord greatly blessed us for that. And he continues to bless us for that. He blesses us in the generations. He blesses you by being here. He blesses you by giving you the kinds of families that you have. And the stability that we have as our families, as a church Look at what you find around us, families breaking down, divorces rampant in society, all kinds of sexually transmitted diseases, people who are addicted to gambling and pornography, and the list can go on and on. Among us, there are fewer family breakdowns. Some of the diseases that you find in the world, you won't find amongst us. Because the Lord God tells us to keep ourselves pure within and outside of holy wedlock. And because God teaches us not to kill. And so, abortions rarely, if ever, happen amongst us as well. We're not immune from any of that. I'm not saying that. We have our problems. And we know ourselves to be sinful people. We know that, however, because we know the law. But because we have that knowledge, we also deal with other people compassionately. When they do fall into sin, we show our love. Because that's how God loves us. We know that essentially we're not any better than anyone else. Potentially you or I are that drug addict, that prostitute, that murderer, that thief potentially that could be you or me by God's grace only you are not and so even though we are sinful people we are different from the world we have been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ he works in our hearts to renew us to be image bearers of God he did that to Noah to Lot to Abraham David Peter and Paul And so the Lord calls them faithful servants in spite of their sinfulness. Think about the sins of these men. What they did. Think about Moses. He was a murderer. Think about David. What he did with Bathsheba. And Peter, how he denied the Lord Jesus. And Paul, how he persecuted the church. And yet God calls them faithful servants. And so David, he could openly proclaim to the Lord as he does in Psalm 26 verse 1, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Isn't that something? And so Paul can cry out as he does in Romans 7 verse 22, For in my inner being I delight in God's law. So we could sing a little while ago in your commandments, I take great delight, great delight. Your word I praise with joy and exaltation, Psalm 119, stanza six. We can sing those lines, not because we have reached perfection in this life, but because our desire is for the Lord. It is for that reason that the law must also be so strictly preached. That's the third point. Question and answer 115 states that the ten words of the covenant must be preached so strictly in order to make us aware of our sinful nature so that we may pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit to renew us until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. The Lord has made us part of his covenant. He comes to us with his promises, the promises of the forgiveness of sins and the renewal of life through his Holy Spirit, the promise of eternal life. He gave to us his greatest treasure, namely his trustworthy and eternal covenant. The content of this treasure is the Lord Jesus Christ with everything that he has acquired for us. And now the Lord wants us to go after that treasure. And that treasure is offered to you through God's word, through the preaching. And the preaching of God's word both confronts us and comforts us. It confronts us with the law and with the fact that we are to seek perfection in his life, which is not a one-time thing. It's not so that when we are done with the preaching about the ten words of the covenant, that then we can forget about it for another year. No, we have to meditate and find delight in God's law every day of our lives and be thankful. For the law points you to Christ. And we can keep the law only because He kept the law. Only through Him can you find perfection. That's also what the world wants, isn't it? That's also what the world strives for. How do they try to obtain perfection? They want to do it through their own efforts. And they're very zealous. Look at the modern day environmentalists. And many people that think like that, they think that they can bring this world to a perfection. Not of course that we should not be concerned about the environment, that's not the point. But we're not going to reach perfection in this way. It's impossible. Whoever wants to reach the goal of perfection must turn to Christ. He is going to renew all things. And when we preach about the law, then we cannot do so except that we preach about him. Through the law, we know what it is to sin. Through Christ, we know the forgiveness of sins. We can come to him with our imperfections and we can experience the peace that Christ brings. Brothers and sisters, we have come to the end of the law. The Lord teaches us how rebellious we are. And that's why we're also driven to prayer. In the following Lord's days, the topic of prayer will have our attention. This last question and answer of this Lord's Day marks the transition to that part of the catechism. And it does it in a very appropriate way. The, key to, the catechism teaches us to seek our strength in prayer. We must pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit. For we cannot do our battle on our own. We are in dire need for God's help. Pray, brothers and sisters. That you may do the law. Only in prayer can you fight the good fight of the faith. For the law must be kept. But your desire must be to keep the law in Christ alone. What a difference the law makes. The law teaches you Christ. Who is your Savior. Amen.